Yeah, we really do have a reason to celebrate this morning. Uh, not, not just, is this on? Am I good? All right, just make sure. Not, not just over Tracy and over the things that are going to come later today. Yeah, we have a busy morning this morning, but also because, and mostly because, of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. I want to begin this morning by again recognizing Tracy and the amazing work um, that he has done and continues to do here at the Vero Beach Church of Christ. I have a privilege of spending almost every day of the week with Tracy, um, and I'm always blown away at just the knowledge, the wisdom that he has tucked away in his head. I'm also always amazed that there's still people out there who love Taco Bell as much as he does. <laughs> I give him a hard time all the time about that. I've, I've already learned so much from you, Tracy, um, and I look forward to the many more years of working alongside you. Church, we are blessed to have Tracy is our pastor, our, our minister. One study that in particular I'm looking forward to uh, is here in a little bit, here in a couple of weeks, Tracy is going to serve as our, almost our tour guide through the book of Mark. And I'm, I'm, I'm excited for that. We've already begun having discussions about John Mark, the author of this gospel, and, and his narrative style of, of talking about Jesus and retelling the story of Jesus. But believe it or not, John Mark, did not always have it together, as we often label these heroes of the faith. Right? We do that a lot, right? We, we take these, these spiritual heroes, people like, like Abraham or David or Peter or Paul or the, the authors of our Gospels, and we think, well, there's no way that I could have a life like that. There's no way that I could have a faith as intact as those men. When in reality, these humans or these people are human, just like you and I, meaning they make mistakes, they let people down, they look down on themselves. Right? And this morning, we're going to learn some practical advice, some practical tips from a big mistake John Mark made early on in his life, early on in his ministry. And we're going to talk about some of the ripple effects that that mistake had, that mistake made. But we're also going to talk about what the people that surrounded him did in that moment. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Acts chapter 15. We just kind of stumble along into this story of John, Mark, and Paul, and Barnabas. And it, it's almost like the story is out of place. Like, like the author was thinking, do I want to take this out? Do I want to leave it in? And ultimately, he decided to leave it in our story. And I'm so glad he did because it breathed so much life into us and where we often can find ourselves. So Acts chapter 15, I'm going to read in verse 36, the very end of the chapter. I'm just going to read that last paragraph. It says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the believers in all of the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Let's, let's stop in unannounced. I think my in-laws have been reading this. <laughs> Barnabas wanted to, wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it was wise because John Mark had deserted them earlier in the trip. Verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark, sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went to Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. It's amazing. It's a funny little story, isn't it? Right, John Mark, let's, let's go back to the beginning. John Mark had an amazing opportunity, right? When the church in Antioch was led to send out missionaries into the world, 
they collected the best of the best to do this. This would be the first of their kind. They would be the trailblazers of the faith into this world. And so they wanted the very best on this mission. So who they picked? They picked Paul and they picked Barnabas. And we will come to find out through their missionary journeys all the success, but also all the seemingly failures that they would have along the way. But they were the men for the job. And they decided that they would take John Mark along with them, almost to just help them out. I love how Acts chapter 13, verse 5 puts it. It says, John was with them as their helper. <laughs> oh, we all know what that means, right? <laughs> he was the gopher. Right? He, was, he was the caddy of the trip, right? It makes me think of Happy Gilmore when he pulls into his first tournament, and this guy is out there cleaning windows and getting shooed off, and so he recruits him to be his caddy, and neither of them know exactly what he's supposed to be doing, right? right? He's, he's the tag-along guy. It also reminds me of when I was living in Oklahoma, working at the church there. Uh, one of our members was uh, a professional electrician. In fact, he would go around and put in security cameras sometimes, and he approached me one day and was like, hey, you know, I know you have Fridays and Saturdays off. How about, you know, a couple of extra bucks? You can come work with me, help me wiring. And man, whenever he invited me into that, I felt so honored. I was like, wow, like you trust me. You want, you want me to do that with you? And until, <laughs> until I figured out exactly why I was being recruited, right? It wasn't necessarily because I had any skill in that line of work, but because I was small and I could fit into all of the tight places that are often required in wiring jobs, right? I was the caddy. I was the tag-along man, right? And while John, John Mark might have been merely an extra hand on these journeys, right, he had the opportunity to learn and serve with the best, right? He was truly blessed to be among them. I mean, he would sail to Cyprus, and John Mark, he would observe amazing things to happen in the governor's house, he would witness these profound leaders coming to a, to a similar faith in the risen Jesus Christ. He really was witnessing the power of God on these missions. And mission trips often have a way of doing this, don't they? I mean, how many of you have been on a mission trip or been on some kind of mission effort, right? It's like you're zoned in to the work of God, right? You're completely focused on his kingdom. It makes me think, and I was reflecting with Darian on some of our trips together, mission trips have been one of the foundations of our relationship. From the very beginning, we've gone on trips together. And I remember one trip in particular, we were in the mountains of Mexico. It sounds like a bad movie, but we're in the mountains of Mexico in, in the villages scattered along this mountain. And we would go out there and we would not only share Jesus and the love of Jesus and do VBS, we'd also hand out resources to the mountains out there, things that they needed to survive throughout the rest of the year. And so one particular day, we were handing out those packages, these giant bags. We were handing them out. People were coming from all over the mountain to gather and get these bags. And, and one elderly couple approached us, and through broken Spanish and broken English, we basically came to the conclusion that the bags were too heavy, and they lived up the mountain, and they needed help taking the bags up there. So Darian and I each grab a bag, and we wind our way on the beaten path along the mountainside and between the trees all the way to a shack in the woods, right? And it's probably no bigger than many of your sheds that you have in your backyard. And we make it inside the house and we put the bags down and, and the lady, she begins putting on a pot of water and, and taking things out of the bags that we just brought up, opening things up and putting in the water. She takes one of the Coke, the liter Cokes and begins 
pouring into multiple glasses. And we realize in that moment what she's doing. We think, no, 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 stop, stop. Like, we brought this for you, right? This is, this is a gift for you, right? You don't have to give it to us. Like, it's okay. We're just here to drop it off. And I'll never forget what she did. She said, stop it. She made me sit down. She said, we are brothers. We are sisters. Right? And we got to have a meal. Right? And I remember opening up her Spanish Bible and, and trying to find verses that I was familiar with in a different language and reading them out loud and not really speaking any words, but that's the power of God. Right? We witness it. We witness it in these subtle moments and oftentimes we witness it when we're on the mission field. But John Mark, he would face his greatest challenge on this trip. Right? On the very next stop, something happened on that first leg of the journey. Something happened that, that made John Mark reach his breaking point. We don't know. We don't know exactly the details of it. All we know is it was enough for John Mark to want to throw in the towel. He was ready to go home. He was done with the trip. And so he packed his bags and he deserted Paul and Barnabas. And some have tried to figure out why he decided to go home so early. Some have suggested that he was homesick, right? Oftentimes when you're away from home, you get homesick. You want to be with your family, with people you love, with people who know you. People say he had a strong relationship with his mom and his brothers and sisters, and so he wanted to go home. So he threw the towel early, and he went home. Some have suggested that he looked ahead to the journey, that he realized the treacherous terrain that he was going to have to pilgrims through, right? The, the people that he'd have to interact with, and he got scared and decided, you know what, this is not, this is not for me. I'm, I want to go home. Some have even suggested that he didn't like a leadership change that happened. It went from his uncle Barnabas to the blunt force of Paul that we'll often see, and he didn't like that, right? He didn't like that leadership change. So he decided, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to go home. And we don't know the reason, and regardless of the reason, he left, right? He was scared. He was angry. He was discouraged. Whatever the reasoning, it was enough for John Mark to say, I'm done with this trip and to leave. And the reality is, is that many of you might be at that point this morning, right? Sure, you're not on a mission trip of the sorts. You're not across country ready to go home. But there's many times in our life where we come to a breaking point when things get tough in our life and we have a choice. Do we stick through with it or do we try to bail? Do we try to get out? For some of you, your marriage is falling apart, You've tried, you've tried everything that you know how to fix it. You tried kids, and that didn't make the problem go away. And then you tried to do that getaway with your spouse, just you and them, but that didn't fix. You came home, and the problems were still there. And you've tried that, that form of escape in your life. You tried to escape the pain through pornography or alcohol or binge watching on Netflix, but the pain just keeps reliving. You've tried everything that you know how to try, and now you're ready to just call it quits. Remaining sober maybe isn't as easy as it used to be for some of you. And you, at first you could write off the pain that is something that would diminish over time, right? The, the longer you stay sober, the easier it will become. But it's been six months and then 12 months and then two years. And for some reason, you still have this nagging desire to want to jump headfirst back into the thing that's tempting you. 
Maybe the church seemingly doesn't have anything left to offer you. Christ's church is supposed to be something different, but time and time again, you feel burnt by the people in it. You feel left out. You feel unimportant. You feel like you're not being spiritually filled. So why bother? Right? If the church is not going to give you what you need, why would you stick around with it? And then maybe there are people in your life that you simply cannot take any longer. You tried everything that you know what to try, but they are stubborn, they are hateful, they're ungrateful, they're self-absorbed. They don't have your back, so why should you have theirs? You should just cut your losses while you can, and they probably won't even notice that you're gone if you left. See, many of us in our life, we come to these breaking points, and we're ready to go out like John Mark. We want to bail. We want to go home. We want to jump ship. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're alone. Maybe you're scared. Maybe you're worn down. Maybe you've lost hope. Maybe you don't see a way forward. It's over. Can you imagine the emotions that John Mark felt on his way home? Sure you can, because you've probably felt them as well. Right? You have a momentary relief that the mission's trip is over. Right? You have that, that moment, just a, just a subtle moment whenever you feel like you're on top. Right? You, you, have, you finally got the, the divorce finalized. It's over. You can go live your own life now. Or maybe you gave in to that fleshly satisfaction, and it gives you that moment of relief. Maybe now you have a free Sunday or a free Wednesday to do whatever you want. You have all this time now. Or that person, the stress from that person in your life, or that family member in your life, they're no longer there. You don't have to worry or stress about it, right? You have a moment of relief. The mission's journey is done, but then it's soon replaced by the sorrow of a failed mission. A family that's torn apart. A giving in to a sin. The loss of the purpose of church. The loss of a friend or a family member. See, John Mark, he would sail, and he would think for many days. He would sail all the way back to Antioch, where he would confront, he would be in front of the religious, or the, the church that just sent him off, and they'd be scratching their head, wondering, what are you doing back so soon? And eventually, he would make his way back to Jerusalem, to the Christians there, to his family, and they too would be wondering, why are you back so soon? What happened? We don't like to fail, do we? There's something inside of us that, that keeps us away from failure. And anytime there's any sign of failure in our life, we shut down, we move away, we try to avoid it. We do not like failure. We don't like a failed mission. I remember the weekend I almost burnt my house down. Uh, long story. Uh, if you want to know more about it, you can ask me after. But there, after the fire was finally put out, I remember my dad, we were in the bathtub and he was washing the second degree burn on my leg. Yeah, it was a bad fire. And I was crying, and I wasn't crying because my pain, or the pain of my leg, right? I don't, I don't even remember feeling my leg. I was crying because I had failed. I had failed my dad. I had failed in my responsibilities. That tore me apart than any kind of physical pain I might have been going through in that moment, and you can relate. You have felt that kind of pain as well. 
See, I don't know what mistakes you have made or where your heart is this morning, and I'm not going to try to judge you because I have my own collection of bailout moments, of mistakes, of opportunities that I have ruined. But here's what I do know, and here's what I want you to walk away with this morning. You are not defined by your mistakes. No, you are defined by Jesus' love for you. No matter how filthy, how worthless, how let down, how disposable you might feel this morning, there is somebody who views you as clean, as worthy, as extremely important, so important, in fact, that he was willing to die for you. See, when things got tough for John Mark, he decided he'd take the easy route, right? He left his teammates. He, he deserted them. He bailed. But John Mark would not be defined by his mistake. No, far from it. You see, God has a way of using us even within our weaknesses. He's able to take nothing and make something out of it. He's able to write straight with crooked lines. And that's not to say that John Mark didn't make a mistake that hurt other people. No, his mistake had ripples. We just read about it, right? Paul and Barnabas were invincible together, or at least they seemed invincible, right? They were the superheroes of the faith. They, Paul uh, owed a large part of his leadership to Barnabas. And these two men together, they would go throughout This land, sharing Jesus, on foot, going through treacherous terrain, seemingly overcoming the impossible to share Jesus. And yet, the mistakes that John Mark made early in his journey were enough for Paul and Barnabas to argue in part company. This was a big mistake. John Mark did something that had consequences. One of the things I admire most of the biblical text, right, of our Bible is it doesn't try to clean up stuff like this, right? It doesn't try to omit stuff like this. You see, our heroes are not perfect men, right? They are flawed. They're emblematic of the human condition. They're gifted. They're strong, but they are struggling with the same issues that haunt all of us. But here is what I want you to take away from, take away with this morning. Here's the nugget that I want you to write down and take away. We've already talked about the first part. You are not defined by your mistakes, right? Lock that in. You are not defined by your mistakes. You are not defined by your mistakes in the same way that John Mark was not defined by his mistakes. In fact, he would go on to write one of the books in your Bible, one of the gospels and tellings of Jesus He would go on and write that God would use him in remarkable ways. He was not defined by his mistakes in the same way you are not defined by your mistakes. But part two is very similar, but is often proven to be much more difficult for us to grasp. Part one, you are not defined by your mistakes. Part two, so you should not define others by their mistakes. You should not define others by their mistakes. Consider the position that Barnabas was at this moment in our text, right? He could have easily have written John Mark off as unreliable. He could have easily have continued on the mission journey with Paul, knowing that him and Paul were going to do great things and said, John Mark, you know what? Just go back home because that's all you're good for. But no, he doesn't do that. Barnabas, he stands up for his nephew. And maybe we can write this off as families sticking together, but I think something far more profound is happening. But before we get there, right, let's think about where this takes root in our life. 
where do we find ourselves defining people by their mistakes? Maybe it's the person who cheated on their spouse or the person who cheated on their taxes. Maybe it's the person who is recently released from prison or the young lady who had an abortion. Maybe it's the person who came to you in confidence and told you about their attraction to the same sex. Or maybe it's the person who hurt you deeply. Right? And Barnabas, like us, seems to have all the reasons in the world to push these people away. To say, you know what? You don't deserve another chance. You've hurt me. You've hurt other people. You're too far gone. There's no hope for you. But Barnabas knew that he could, he could not define John Mark by his mistakes because Jesus did not define Barnabas by his own. In the same way, who are we to withhold the love of Christ to people when Jesus plainly said that he died for them just as much as he died for us? Stop looking for the perfect church with the most perfect people who believe the most perfect things. No, instead, go worship a perfect God with a congregation of flawed people just like John Mark who need the love and grace of Jesus just as much as we do. You see, when Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see what you see. He doesn't see your mistakes or your failures. He doesn't reminisce on what could have been. He doesn't wish that you were somebody different. No, 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 no. Jesus loves you. He loves you right now for who you are right now. But here's what I love about Jesus, is Jesus loves you right now for who you are right now, but he refuses to leave you there. Jesus looks at you and he says, you are not defined by your mistakes. You're not defined by all the times that you walked away from me. You're not defined by all the times you walked away from my church. You're not defined by all the bridges you have burned or the people you have scorned or the pain you have caused along the way. No, Jesus looks at you and he says, I get to define you. Because of what I have done, you are clean, you are holy, you are worthy, you are bold, you are beautiful, you are strong, you are righteous, you are magnificent, you are mine. And here in a moment, we're going to witness two of our young people who believe this with all of their heart. They've grown tired of buying into the lie that they have been defined by who they are or what they have done. Instead, they're wanting to take on a new definition, the definition that Jesus has given them. And here in a moment, they are going to be clothed with Christ in baptism. They're going to be surrounded by Christ. And they're going to be committing their life to the one who sees them as his. And if we can help you take this step or any other step in your faith, we invite you to come now as we stand and we sing.